Hello, I'm Graham. And I'm Chris. And we're not the Pet Shop Boys. No, of course, we're not the Pet Shop Boys, but we are very much Pet Shop Boys fans. And like the Pet Shop Boys, there's two of us, we're both male, and we're from the north of England. But that's pretty much where it ends. And this is Pet Shop Boys In Depth, a brand new podcast for Pet Shop Boys fans all over the world. Interestingly, and unlike most podcasts, Chris and I have never met before. Well, once in a pub. Yes, that's right. We've spent the grand total so far of one hour in each other's company, talking, of course, about Pet Shop Boys. But we thought it would be interesting to see if in any way two fans talking could translate into a podcast. So here we are, just one week later, in a studio in Huddersfield, West Yorkshire, making it happen. So come with us on what could very well be a bit of a surreal journey. Kind of like it couldn't happen here. But without Joss Ackland leering over our shoulders. United by a shared love of one band, can two strangers who have never presented anything before spin one pub chat out into something that other people might bear to listen to? There's only one way to find out. Right, great. So that's the intros over, Graham. Speaking of intros, what's your favourite ever Pet Shop Boys song intro? Well, I mean, there's there's so many, isn't there? But I think I probably my favourite introduction is probably the first introduction of the first song on the first album, so two divided by zero. I think when I heard that for the first time, it just sounded like nothing that I'd ever heard before. The kind of computer-spoken two divided by zero and the fairly simple keyboard links. I just It was just another world. I'm, it sounds really simple, but I'm sure it wasn't simple to program that in, in 1985 or whenever, but just takes you into another world, into another life. That's You've hit on my favourite track that they've ever done. What was your format of choice back in the... Vinyl, definitely. Okay. Well, I, well, yeah, started off being vinyl. I started buying then cassette singles and 12-inch remixes. That was my kind of format, but yeah, definitely album vinyl still got it today so, so i got it home on cassette and i remember playing it and so i don't know if you've ever heard the cassette but before the track starts there's this little digital tone that plays it's um i didn't know it at the time but it's a the xdr tone burst <laughs> and it's just a little i don't know what it does it tests the equalization of your cassette system or whatever but this little odd bleep at the beginning i always assumed it was part of the track and then there was like this three second silence before the before the thing started so it was only when i got the cd version some some years later that i realized that bit wasn't part of it uh, at all feeling like i've missed out that i've never never that's the probably the one format that i haven't heard (laughs) in i think i think i've got numerous versions of it but no i've never i don't think i've ever heard it on cassette well it it wasn't um, this xdr thing wasn't unique to um please i think it was on i think it was duran duran's notorious it was on as well so it's not where you're buying dodgy cassette versions (laughs) of uh, sort of pre-record I mean I've taped some songs off and albums and things in the past they had all sorts of various quality and noises and sort of pick up bits of noises on it no this was uh, (laughs) definitely a kosher copy Uh, yeah I mean I I I got pleased on round about my 16th birthday and I can remember remember getting it and sort of taking it home and before I was going to due to go out play football with my with my mates had a kind of cheeky listen to it and, and and it was like whoa this is this is good and at the time we used to run a little bit of a almost like a library system with our, with my friends where one of us would buy an album and then the others would would borrow it and record it uh, but I, I kind of made it clear that that this was the album that I was I was having this I was going to buy it and you know they were welcome to copy it if they wanted I can still remember playing football in the evening and just saying oh this, this album's just fantastic it's fa- fantastic and 
just couldn't wait to get home and, and let's say just get back into that that other world that 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 it that it that it was it just didn't sound like anything else that i had at the time my, my uh copy my first copy of disco was uh, a pirated one from <laughs> my uh from my, one of my friends uh, like i say it's my favorite track it's got all the classic pet shop boys themes it's got uh, escapism running away it's uh, it's got the transport thing which crops up again and again i used to have a speak and spell which it's got that prominent voice it's actually a, a sharp talking calculator not rather than a speak and spell uh, even that the beep beep sound is uh, is uh, from from the from the calculator, and I'd always wanted to uh, hoping that they would drop it into a, a live set at some point. So it was great when uh, they put that into the Pandemonium tour, and that was a, a brilliant version. I, I thought. I mean, this is boding well for our podcast that we've managed to spend about five minutes just talking about the first fifteen seconds of the first song on the first album. I guess that means that there's there's probably lots to go at. Probably the reason why we decided to call it in depth. From the rest of the catalogue, what what what's your favourite intro? Um, I mean, in terms of intros, th- there's one for me that um, maybe for lots of fans that stands out as uh, an absolute monolith, and that's uh, Left to My Own Devices. That huge orchestra at the beginning, and I remember buying. Obviously, it opens introspective. I remember buying that album going into town. So Halifax, York local town as, as well Graham and I remember going in after school on that Monday do you remember Groove Records well I'm more this is this is the problem with us getting ah, to know each other through this podcast you're so say you're Huddersfield, I, I'm, I'm more Huddersfield yeah right. so and you know and the, we, we very rarely went to each other's towns despite oh, them right, being right. five miles apart so no I'm I'm, I'm Huddersfield record shops I'm, I'm Bradley's and Boss yes. docks and so WH Smiths more than anything. Well, let me let me paint a picture for you then. So, um, Groove Records, slightly out of town, um, on Union Street in Halifax. It's basically a terrace house that was a record shop. A married couple, Diane and Jeff, and <laughs> Diane was looked after singles downstairs. She sold the singles, and then Jeff did albums upstairs. So obviously on this particular Monday, quick hello to Diane and but then I was off, off upstairs and to see Jeff uh, Pet Shop Boys introspective please yeah yeah got it here got it here my memory of buying albums at that time was you I didn't know what the artwork was going to be like I hadn't you know it's not as though there was massive promotional campaigns or I'd see it in Q magazine yeah, I didn't see anything like that at, that at those points so this is the first time that I'd seen the introspective album cover with obviously it's colourful lines the graphic panels and uh, I, I remember Jeff uh, was having none of this he's a uh, very straight talking Yorkshireman he's I don't understand why they've called it introspective with a sleeve like that they should have called it rainbow <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was Jeff's view I'm a cassette again so I'll have taken this cassette home and got it, got it back to my uh, double deck ghetto blaster type thing, and played it, you know. And obviously that big or- orchestral intro kicking out, which sounded sounded fantastic. I think on that, that if that was probably the, I mean, I assume that was probably a Monday when it would come out. I would have probably been out and bought it on day of release. For whatever reason, I can remember my, my parents were out that night, so I put it on the downstairs speakers and downstairs stairs. So I was on my dad's system reasonably decent and and you're absolutely right it was like nobody else in the house right get that volume up nice and loud and uh, yeah that that introduction is 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 something else i don't know if you were at the royal albert hall oh, where yeah. they did it with the orchestra yeah, yeah, yeah. 
to, to hear it with a full orchestra kicking as well was just incredible, especially when it just sounds exactly like it does That's right. on the on record, but yet there's 72 piece orchestra uh-huh. blasting it out definitely got a bit of oomph as that and the, the other one that uh, springs to mind uh, beyond left to my own devices is miracles which i think uh, again that's got a really notable intro i think adam f's production on that track is is fantastic and talking of concerts i was lucky enough to go to the one that was in salford the, in 2012 around the time that they promo in elysium and they had BBC Orchestra with BBC Choir as well, and they did Miracles. That was the first time, I think, that they played Miracles as part of a full concert show. And I do remember there were, there were two tracks, so they did the whole set, and then there were two dra- tracks that the conductor was adamant that they needed to do again, and one of those was Miracles, the other was Hold On. But I just uh, remember hearing Neil off mic saying to him, uh, yeah, it's because I can't sing it, I've never been able to <laughs> sing it, that's why we don't do it live. There's just so many great introductions, songs like so hard that just kick mm-hmm. in sort of straight away and I think again it's part of that it just takes you into another world straight away it's like we, we've got 30 seconds here right where are we going to are we are you in a club are you in a piano bar are you you know wherever you're going to be it's that instant transportation into another world just on the, so hard this um, noise that just runs through the intro that kiss like kiss, kiss. yeah one of them's out of time. <laughs> if you just if you just listen and uh, obsess on that case, one of them's out of time. I've ne- always wonder why they never knocked it back in, into into phase. So keeping on the topic of introductions, then so talked about song introductions. But what was your introduction, Graham? What do you remember the first time that you you heard them? That you heard of them? What, you know that moment when you became a fan. I don't. I don't really know. I. I I, I seem to think, I mean, I was I was reading Smash It, so I would have been 83 to 86, I would have been buying Smash It, so, and obviously Neil Tennant's writing for that. I was probably aware of, of him as a journalist, without really realising what that was as a job at the time, but certainly as a name attached to articles. I feel like I remember the Alfida Zimpet clipping article where they announced that Neil was leaving and going to form a band and that they'd be down the dumper in six That's months true. or whatever. But I don't know whether I have some sort of reconstructive memory because that clipping appears in the on tour brochure. Uh, so I don't know whether or not I remember it from that, but I think that I remember it from from the magazine. I certainly wasn't listening out and waiting for to hear that band. I, I, I you know, I can't claim that I own any of the original releases that, that I was queuing up on the Monday for release of those. I mean, I was just listening to a lot of pop music in yeah. 1985, consuming it hourly. I seem to remember Western Girls sounding different, and I think that probably piqued my interest. I don't really remember when I bought it. I feel like I bought it after Christmas, but it was in the charts for about five or six weeks mm-hmm. before it even started getting anywhere near the top of the chart. So I do remember sitting on the bus and sort of looking at the sleeve when I bought it. I remember doing I remember doing that, but I, I don't really remember a moment. I, I mean, you're a little bit later, right? You kind of come in a bit. Uh, yeah, so, and and I'm a little bit younger as well than Graham, <laughs> is probably what it's you meant to say. It's taken you about 20 minutes <laughs> to mention that. <laughs> um, so my memory is um, of, uh, was... It's a sim being played on radio, basically, and and it will have been Radio 1 that I was listening to. And my memory of those times is that singles used to get radio play quite a long way before they get, like, six weeks, maybe, before they would get released. So, you know, this is the summer of 1987. I was my 
thing at that time was to tape stuff off the radio and I used to make my own little compilations and obviously try and start and stop it to dub the, the DJ out. This is back to my double cassette ghetto blaster. You know, I was struck by this song on the radio, the massive back to intro, it's got that massive intro on the front of it, it's got the big high energy sound, it's got the odd middle eight with the, with the talky bit, it's got the ending as well, the outro and all these bits are so different and just adds up to such a fantastic song i remember i think neil said it himself that it's five minutes odd is this track but radios would just play the whole thing from start to, to finish just because there's so you know so many sections and it's just so engaging the bit obviously i've got the song but the other bit that really sealed the deal for me i remember i was an avid smash it's reader at this time as well i remember there's a feature two-page feature it was on the making of the it's a sim video and it had uh, it was Neil and Chris talking through being on interviewed on set basically and I didn't you know I didn't know hell hardly anything about them certainly didn't know which of them was uh, Neil and Chris in uh, Neil or Chris in the photos I thought they were very funny very switched on they were interested in pop music so as well as making it they were you know kind of commenting on it and in their style of, of, of that time they were slagging other bands off etc I just remember thinking they were really funny really intelligent got it and there was something that I found uh, really quite uh, right from that article I started to maybe form that that bond as a, a fan I think at the same time I was maybe uh, subconsciously looking around for a group that was mine five star were probably just starting to <laughs> wane in my affections so yeah it was it's a sin that, that kind I mean, of it's, sealed it's, the deal it's a sin it's such a massive song and it's I, I think quite an underrated song I quite often at the concerts when we're getting towards the end and I'm thinking oh which ones have they not played and I always forget about it so whenever then when that kicks in I'm always like oh yeah forgot about that forget about that and, and i can still remember the summer of 87 buying cassette singles and possibly the first 12 inch remix as well that, that kind of came out which was quite exciting because it was it had a different sleeve and it had a look a different look and it had a different feel and, and it was like oh this is a this is a world now there's an not only is there a, an escapism world of this band but there's now another level through these remixes and now you can get into it and, and not, not everybody even though there's a, a song that's a worldwide hit there's still another level below that that if you kind of know the remixes you're part of another little club and uh, i always kind of like that as well it was on the radio but it wasn't out yet and there was so i you know i had this demand that i needed to f fulfill so that was the point at which i went out and bought please and that i got the copy of disco from my friend so i couldn't quite bring myself to part with the money for disco because i didn't get well i didn't get it you know the i've already got these songs <laughs> they're on please there's only two other tracks on it Clearly, that's not quite the case, um, which I learned when I got this copy of it. The other bits that completed the picture, so it's the same was that that moment. But now seven, now that's what I call music <laughs> seven, was just that. Still for me, is up there as a, a real introduction to pop music for me. And opportunities is on there. Now that's quite a, an almost unique mix, which I didn't realise at the time. It's a, it's a remix of the original. Uh, seven inch version can't get many other places and that sounds fantastic i had opportunities there west end girls of course was there in my um, conscience as well i remember my mum particularly liking west end girls so got please got disco and there i was ready and waiting for when uh, when actually came out as well and of course their live shows always have a great introductions as well yeah well they do don't they and I mean, thinking about it, that's the first time I saw them was on the 
performance tour in in 91 i'd love to have got to the 89 one but we, we were on uh, my mum and dad dragged me off to portugal so that wasn't going to happen <laughs> it was performance in blackpool um oh, well i was at blackpool oh, as well were you at blackpool yeah the the, the opera house the opera house yeah winter gardens yeah yeah in the dress circle right, right. well that, yeah i was in the circle <laughs> 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 i'm not even gonna get my ticket i'll find out that we were sort of sat next to each do other. you have your stub i do i've, I've still I've got my stub st- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah i've got, yeah, got stuff for everyone yeah oh, yeah good work <laughs> uh, so having the day in blackpool that was exciting uh Bank holiday monday that's right may 27th you're right i know I, it was just for some reason, I just went to lots of gigs on May 27th in a row around about that time. Oh, and wasn't jealousy out that week? Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> I've got, that's, I seem to have that memory. I remember we, and I'd never done this kind of thing before, me and my friend uh, Paul, we, we hung around round the back and I remember the coach coming up and get, getting off the coach. That was an exciting moment. But going back to the, the intro of the tour, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a performance. You know, I don't think there's n- they've never done anything quite like that since, have they? And there's probably not many bands that have. No, and I think that for about five minutes, somebody with a world, there's a wizard with a big book, there's all over a backdrop of Strauss, mm. and it's like, this is an arena show. Uh, it, and it's just, I, I just find it incredible that they had the confidence to do that because it's just so out there really even even to do that now Mm. would be out but to do that when you're not really known as a live band yeah it's 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 great i mean it's both overblown but it's also massively understated so thinking about them walking on to you know they do this must be the place i waited years to leave the first track which it's an album track and they there's this chain of schoolboys essentially in uniform that, that kind of winds its way across the stage and then suddenly two of them break free and it's you know it's Neil Tennant Chris Lowe, you know what a what an odd way to make your well I don't think uh, I, I don't even think Chris plays keyboards for about two songs I think he kind of comes on sits cross-legged I think for the first just sits alongside him cross-legged and, for uh, the first song and, and takes a bite out of an apple <laughs> yeah it's like. This is just, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, this is, we're going to show you that we're a live band. We're going to, we don't need guitars. We don't need drum riders. No, we're just going to sit here and just eat, like I say, eat an apple. And then I think the second song, he goes to bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite an awesome thing, really. I remember thinking it was uh, so incredible. And I've, it's my, clearly I've seen them a number of times since then on, on the various tours. And uh, that's still my favourite thing that they've done from, from a live perspective. I have to say I have a massive soft spot for for somewhere. If we're talking introductions, uh, just the introduction to that. So Sam Taylor Wood or Sam Taylor Johnson's just to have two screens, two parties, Neil at one party, Chris at the other party, going about their own business, chatting to people and then just getting up, walking to the right or the left of the screen, going off camera and then just walking straight onto the stage. I just... I thought when I saw that that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, and, and I still think it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Did you see that? Did you go to the concert? Yes, yes. So I was at yeah. I went to the Savoy. I kind of appear. I think I'm in the like the last frame of the last of, of left of my own devices. I'm kind of in my blue in my customary dress dress circle seat, <laughs> blue shirt. Yeah. What in the in the somewhere? In the somewhere. Uh, in the, yeah, I, I said the DVD. I, I have it on video, so it's uh-huh. my VHS copy. Well. I, 
I'm I'm in that as oh, as well. <laughs> so, I'm so, at every concert. So um, <laughs> it was the one that I went to was the first night, the opening night. To be honest, the sound wasn't brilliant, but they were they uh, were clearly very pleased with it. I'm in the video, so there's a bit where they in the documentary that's before the concert. There's just one of these final final shots is them just scanning over a few fans who are kind of gathered outside and I'm yeah. looking up at, at, the, at the camera <laughs> so that's a very very minor claim to fame <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember that that was the first time that I'd gone down to London with friends to see the concert but also to make the most of being in London as well and that was a, a fantastic time and also so it was the it was the one it was the first one and it's it's on the video and it's the one where Chris for some reason decides to drop his trousers before oh, the right. oh yes yeah that's something yeah I mean that seems quite <laughs> mind you I, say, it says it, it, I was going to say it doesn't seem very Chris but of course he did take his clothes off on the performance to well the absolutely probably, yeah yeah. probably is quite a Chris, <laughs> Chris thing to do but it, that was the first time that I um, managed to meet them so they were hanging round outside round the back just where the Savoy bar kind of spilt out onto the street and they were talking quite openly with fans right. which was a nice thing. They'd obviously been put off by that by the time I went. I think I went <laughs> to sort of about a week in so well, uh, Maybe they'd sorted the sound out for you. Maybe, maybe <laughs> and I have to say I loved the big neon sign as um, well. I, I I think I'd actually gone down to London for about for about a week before I, ran to, before I went to see it so I went to stay with a friend and I can remember when we were in Centre, it was like, I'd go and have a peek at the Savoy, see where it was, and saw this great big sort of neon signs attached to the front of it. It was like, oh, that's so exciting. I'm have, have you ever been back since? Have you been back to the Savoy for uh, afternoon tea? Do, do, do you know what? I actually have. I've, have been, to the, I've been to the, the Gordon Ramsay restaurant uh -huh. there for my brother-in-law's 40th, <laughs> must be possibly 40th. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was, yeah, it's, it's, it is fantastic. It's hard to believe that, there was a pop concert uh, there. Yeah, that's I, right. I, I don't understand that yeah. there was a pop concert there, and fantastic that there was. But I, it, I, if if you told me that now that yeah. that well there was a band played here for about two weeks, I'd just be like, no, that, that's not going to happen. And you know, I think that's the thing with Pet Shop Boys. You, you you don't just when you like you said before when you sign up to being a Pet Shop Boys fan, it's not just them you're getting into. You're getting introduced to all this world of other stuff as well so you might find yourself at the the, the Savoy Theatre or some other venue or place that you'd, you've never been to but there's also everything else that comes with the, their world so it's the aesthetic it's the collaborations it's all of that attention to detail so I guess again in terms of introductions what 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 kind of things have, uh, have the Pet Shop Boys introduced you to? Uh, well definitely graphic design talk about that aesthetic that visual presentation but definitely graphic design and Appreciation of white space. Oh, yeah. Well, they're <laughs> good at that, aren't they? They're definitely good at that. And uh, I'm a big fan of uh, sans serif font, so I've probably got uh, Mark Farrow to, to blame for that. And, and possibly just having a career in the creative sector. I mean, growing up in the north of England in the late 80s, kind of media and creativity was just not a sector or an industry that you, that you go into. And I didn't know that those jobs existed. And probably just by consuming album covers and sleeves and things like that and mm -hmm. seeing design by Matt Farrow at three with a little circle mm -hmm. on it or three associates or three A or Farrow design. It's just, you know, I was thinking, yeah, actually that, that must be somebody's job. That looks like there's a job there for somehow and, and, and maybe that subconsciously 
opened my eyes to thinking about that. You know, I certainly, like say, the graphic design aspect of it, I just, I've always loved and, and, and continue to this day to be kind of important. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I love the Farrow stuff particularly. I remember he did a talk. I don't think he did many of them. He did one in Manchester at the Corner House, which was a kind of an art centre. Uh, I went along to that and he talked about design in general, but the sleeves and Pet Shop Boys stuff. And I, I waited for the Q&A at the end and stuck my hand in the air. And I said, because I'd read something in literally, Pet Shop Boys didn't, so the year, year was, I think, was, was, did I say 92? This was a point at which I think the last single had been, was it worth it? Clearly they weren't on the, the cover of that and they put in said something literally that they you know they thought they wouldn't be on the sleeves going yeah. forward picked up on this i said to him you know what's this about i understand pet shop boys aren't, aren't going to be appearing on the sleeves anymore and he was uh, how do you know that <laughs> how, how do you know that <laughs> and actually i guess can you forgive her was the next one and they they weren't really on that it was dolls again yeah, wasn't it? Say, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, was it yeah. and then computer generators <laughs> that's right so, yeah, yeah so it did it was the case for a while and in fact they're not really on that many of the sleeves these days are, are they i guess not no no thinking about it probably not really no i guess another world really that opened up through that would be would be film as well and probably a liking for i'm going to sort of say sort of slightly art house cinema or art house film sure. uh, i think i probably as a gateway went in through Derek jarman and i think i i think channel four ran a bit of a retrospective and watched caravaggio and blue and I think they were probably a little bit too yes. out there for, yeah. for, for, for for me as a as an introduction to that, but I probably did get into things like uh, I can remember going and seeing Steven Soderbergh's uh-huh. uh, Sex Lies of Videotape and things like Peter Greenaway's Cook the Wife Thief and and, and, and David Lynch, which I, I still love, kind of the whole sort of Twin Peaks thing, sure. which sort of seems to go kind of quite hand in hand. But so I think that world opened up again through it which i probably wouldn't have found if i was mm. you know listening to or just or if i'd chosen other bands to follow there is always been this art aspect to the work i guess i think neil particularly is a big film lover isn't he there's often you know when the talk is talking about inspiration for lyrics etc there's uh, often films that he's referring to hitchcock's stuff i've uh, remember particularly is is, is, uh, because they did the screaming track as well but yeah I think film is an underappreciated source of inspiration for for their stuff. I think it's almost like an acceptance that anything creative can be can be used tapped into and and it just adds extra levels to the you know to the presentation it's that we've made some effort to make a nice sleeve we have a graphic designer on retainer or whatever it is but yeah. everything's presented nicely everything's faultless everything's curated nothing goes out without it being rubber stamped or approved and nothing goes out that's shoddy and or, or kind of the half baked it's everything is everything's on point and i think that's it gives that credibility then that the product has gone through that that there's it's, it's approved and i, I kind of like that that you don't feel like anything you know there's i know there's like three greatest hits collections but you don't feel like they are just allowing things just to come out and to be churned out and things. Yeah, in, in fact, I, I do wish sometimes that they would put out more. I think they all, they never want to seem as though they're milking the fan base and they're overselling stuff. But actually, you know, I'd love to see them do some more stuff with the, with the with the back catalogue. Well, when you see kind of other bands that do this whole super deluxe thing, where you get four CDs worth of stuff of, of just various demo tracks but yeah I think I, I'm sure there is some 
nicely recorded songs and bits out there that we'd think we'd all want to listen to and all hear. And I think you're right, there's that care and att attention to detail that goes into the product that makes you, you know, want to own it and put it on your shelf with, with, with the rest of the stuff. Yeah. So what about bands then? Are there any other bands that you've got into through Pet Shop Boys? Yeah, well, I mean, they've always been, I've always chosen interesting remixes and there's plenty of acts that I've got into that I've kind of been introduced through Pet Shop Boys mixes. So Ulrich Schnauss, who mixed Memory of the Future, which I think is one of the best remixes that they've that they've done, certainly in recent years. And I've gone on to really enjoy his stuff and I, I wouldn't have known about his work if it hadn't have been for, for the, that remix. And Real Lies as well, who did the mix of uh, Say It To Me, are, I think are an excellent group. I've enjoyed both their albums and been to see them live. And again, that's purely on the basis of, of having heard about them through the mix that they've done for Pet Shop Boys. I think beyond that, New Order were on my radar around the time that I got into Pet Shop Boys, so uh, True Faith particularly. I remember Neil, but also Chris, name-checking them, and that definitely made me want to explore their catalogue uh, more deeply. And they've got the same kind of, who's got the aesthetic thing yeah. going on uh, as, as well, but also, you know, that kind of extensive catalogue and songwriting too. I think New Order are definitely, on, on New Order, by the time It's a Sin came out, I'm, I'm I'm at Sixth Form College by then, so I'm meeting and being introduced to different people with different musical backgrounds. And I know that one person who I spent quite a bit of time with at college, they were an absolute massive New Order fan and got me into it through that. But I mean, I think I got into it through is it Stephen Haig and True Faith, which True Faith just sounds like a Pet Shop Boys song anyway. Through getting into New Order, I started getting into a bit more of an indie sound and that opened up that indie NME audience that yeah. by the time I'm hitting that in sort of the late 80s is a is almost kind of quite a counterpoint to the sort of Pet Shop Boys poppiness but I'm also starting to develop this uh, this indie appreciation as well at that time and and an, another thing that in terms of music I think somebody put together a, a playlist of all the songs that Chris I think there's also Neil oh, but certainly all the songs that Chris had recommended on uh, in literally and put a playlist together and uh, and 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 that was that's a great compilation of music oh, oh, of sort of dance music oh, well so i put together a, it was a spotify playlist that i put together and sent to pet shop boys office and they you sorry put, you're saying that you did that yeah i put, <laughs> I, I, put I put that together like you say i did a, all of the songs that chris had listened to had, had name checked in literally as part of his favorite records so going back through through them all sent it to their office and who shared it with Chris, who loved it and wanted to share it on his <laughs> social media. This is such a small world. I can't, <laughs> can't believe that you that you did that. I mean, I I also I I've, I found a song that I knew that they when they stood in at Radio One and I had the tapes of the second time that they did it, but I didn't have a copy of the first time. And I knew I did have at one point, but I seem to have lost it. At one point, I knew that they played this song, and all that I knew is that it was sung by somebody that was French. That was all that I knew. Oh, okay. And yeah. I just, I loved it. I'd heard it when I was on holiday in France. You know, this is years and years before Shazam or anything like that, where you can instantly find out what it is. And I'd heard this song, then they played it, and I knew it was great. And for about 30 years, I just didn't know what this song was. And again, 
somebody uploaded the tapes of that. that was that you? No, no. Yeah, all right. No, no. <laughs> I do have them in the loft. Somebody uploaded this and I was kind of, and I'd half forgotten it as I was listening to it. And I, I don't know which, what day it is, it's like the Thursday or whatever. And suddenly this song comes out of the speakers and it's like this song I absolutely love, which is, I can I cannot say it. it's by a Mylene Farmier Desenchante okay. uh-huh. oh, or yeah. something it's That's called. Right. Yeah. But I just love that record and it's so such a great record to be able to have that have access to that song and you just can't feel down when you listen to that song. It's I, such an uplifting uh, song. It's a brilliant track. It's just that, you know, things that you would just not have access to without uh-huh. being introduced to it. It's great. What's about geographically? Do you have Pet Shop Boys introduced you to uh, any, you know, particularly exciting places in the world? Well, I think probably for one is London. I think it's probably common for most people from the north of England to be in awe of the bright lights of London and from seeing the West End Girls video and Rent and bits of visuals. There was always obviously London plays a key part in their visual uh, aesthetic, for want of a better word. So I think there was always an appeal around that, that that kind of added an excitement to, to, to going to London and certainly being 16, 17, 18, I'm about to sort of start being able to go and do that and like you say, go and see concerts and do things like that in uh, down, down in the capital. And, and probably New York as well, subconsciously. So I'm not sure really whether or not I ever realised it, but I, I mean, I went to New York for my 30th birthday, which would probably have been about three or four months after release of New York City Boy, so I don't know whether that, but it was, I think, there was always a sort of slight excitement about, oh, you know, they recorded all their early stuff there and they worked there and, you know, this New York gets a cursory mention in a couple of the songs as well. So I think that always sort of seemed exciting. It's kind of a, I think New York is a, is is the London when you've got a little bit older, really, and maybe got a little bit more money yeah. and you can kind of go and sort of get excited to go and explore that. Yeah, I can definitely relate to what you're saying about London. You know, that's kind of, I think that's where Pet Shop Boys were. So, you know, if you were down in London, that was exciting in itself. And I think as a as a northerner, I think you touched on it there, I, I definitely relate to that idea of being, you know, you're almost like the, out, you're the outsider, aren't you? And then when you come down to London, you've kind of got your nose pressed up against the glass and you're a bit closer to where it's all happening and there's something that's exciting about that. I've, the other place that sort of sticks in my mind is, so I'd always had on my bucket list that I wanted to go and see them in, a, in another country uh, on the uh, the Dream World tour last year. I saw them in Berlin and that was, so I'd never been to Berlin nice. before. That was again, if it had been scheduled, it was supposed to be the first, I think it was going to be the first date before it right. was rescheduled because of the pandemic. Um, so I, you know, I, I took to go and so close on the back of Hotspot, which was so, uh, you know, yeah. um, about Berlin. That would have been particularly exciting, but it was still exciting to be there, you know, with uh, the, the kind of the stations and places that are name-checked in songs like Willow the Wisp. And we, myself and my friend, went to uh, Hansa Studio just to uh, peer through the glass, <laughs> which was uh, which is exciting. So, you know, that's a, you know, quite a unique place, and that's some, a trip that I wouldn't have taken if it hadn't been for, for Pet Shop Boys. Talking of... Of bucket lists, my probably my biggest bucket list is to go and stand outside the Carlisle Hotel and recreate the remix sleeve for Domino Dancing. That's that's really all that I want to do is just to go <laughs> and have 
a photograph of myself stood shaky poor quality yeah. shot stood between those two palm trees and that it gives you i guess it gives you a reason to go and explore these places and go and see it and it's like yeah you'll go and get that photograph or you'll go and see hans studios or something but then then you get to go and do all the other things that are not been recommended by the band but then you sort of start to make your own and you kind of you have your own memories of sure. them and things like that yeah. then and I think that's one of the great things well the um Cal Calal Hotel's still there I'm pretty sure so maybe I, that I think it is there. yeah I'm not sure well it, it looks I keep looking I think <laughs> it's I think it's more apartments rather than oh, rather okay. than rooms I mean I'm not I don't think there's anything in the canon that you actually have to stay there. I think you just have to yeah. literally stand outside it. So uh, <laughs> so maybe somebody will pay us a lot of money and we'll go and do a podcast from outside it, something like that. That, that sounds, sounds like a thing sounds to do, good. doesn't it? I think just it's, 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 it's those entry points into the band and I think I mentioned earlier the 12 inch remixes are just this, this other world that you that you get into you start to get obsessed by the people that are producing them and starting to get obsessed by people that are remixing them and like I said for a, for a while I was kind of slightly obsessed by Shep Pettibone and that was somebody who almost became this sort of badge of quality of remixes and me and my friends would go out looking for record shops and finding other other bands and artists that he'd I mean I, I was I was convinced that that was some sort of anagram of Pet Shop Boys I, I know it isn't but it, it just seemed too close to be a big in joke to me. I say those those 12 inches are quite important to me do you, I mean do you have a, a sort of a favourite mix or do you have well is that sort of part of your your yeah, like yeah. I mean, you mentioned Chet Pettibone. I think it's only really within recent years that I've probably begun to appreciate just how awesome he, he was as a mixer of their stuff. The Love Comes Quickly and West End Girls mixes uh, that are on disco are, are obviously well-known because of that. But I've always loved the Opportunities 12-inch master mix that he did. I think that's one of their best mixes and that doesn't quite get the same attention the mix he did of what have I done to deserve this but then of course he's there producing uh, you know where you went wrong and I want to wake up so if you do yourself a little playlist of his uh, of the, <laughs> the Shep Bettybone stuff it's all five star quality you know where you went wrong I really like you mentioned the 12 inch remix of it's a sin video sleeve yeah. and on the back of the on the b-side there's that brilliant mix of the rough mix of you you know where you went wrong which i think i mean that's got i'm pretty sure that must be shep pettibone there's no remixer credited on the sleeve i i don't think it must be a, a, a shep production that's a great mix I, I i love that mix i just love that bit where the the female voice kicks in halfway through that and it's and, and again it's this talking about curating things we're talking about kind of this aesthetic and it's not only the fact that they are recording b-sides and putting b-sides out but it's then that they are appreciating them and liking them that much that they're actually then remixing them and putting them out and it was just again it's that it's that quality and that value value for money it's, being a northerner it's like what great value for money it's you definitely get definitely value for money isn't <laughs> it I, I was thinking about the so they remixed i get excited for the which i assume was going to go on the 12 inch remix so there's this sam west mix of i get excited which is kicking around on youtube etc i can only assume it was uh, intended for the 12 inch remix because oddly it's just the single version the b-side version of i get excited that's on there so it was always slightly odd that there was this official mix unavailable but yet they'd repeated the same track on the 12 inch remix so i assume that that sam west mix just wasn't finished in time for for release i knew that they did put out these alternative 12 inches and i probably had a good number of them but i remember after buying domino dancing when it came out 
and then suddenly, a couple of weeks later, or whatever it was, I'm flicking through Pet Shop Boys record section, and suddenly, there's an, and it's the, the Carlisle Hotel sleeve, uh, and there's another, another 12-inch. Brilliant. <laughs> and that, thinking about some of their best mixes, the bass mix that's on there, I absolutely love that. That's a fantastic version. They ought to do a live version based on that. That's brilliant. And just around that off, my favourite 12-inch remix, the KLF version that's on So Hard, I think is absolutely brilliant as well. It probably doesn't bear a whole lot of relation to the original, but I think that's an absolutely fantastic version. Yeah. I think that the So Hard one's not too bad, is it? No, it's pretty conventional, really. Yeah. I mean, and that's really just scratching the surface, isn't it? I know I could go on listing mixes. There's so much high-quality stuff that they've done over, what is it, 38 years? I mean, it's just absolutely, and it's such a, a great body of work. And you know, I always think of it as you look back to 86, 87. I picked a horse at that point, and, I, and I've kind of run with it, and it hasn't really let me down at any right. at any point of that you know even even 38 years later we're talking about it and we've not even scratched it this there's so many you know we can talk about albums there's singles there's sleeves there's haircuts there's <laughs> there's there's costumes there's sunglasses coats we haven't even talked about coats and I, you know i can do half an hour on coats there is just so much there and that you can talk about and and, and hopefully if we get to do this Again, there's there's other subjects that we can talk about. Do we think then that what we've got here constitutes a, a, a podcast? Do you, do you think that we've got enough there? Well, I think, I think we probably... Have. Well, I mean, there's going to be more, but it it is what it is, isn't it? I think we've definitely... Uh, we've, we've, we've certainly scratched the surface. I'm not sure what we've we've fully mined it, but we've certainly scratched it. All right, well, let's, uh, let's wrap up there. I'd, li- I'd like to do a quick thank you to um, Paul A. Jackson for the bits of music that we've been using. I should thank Travis for doing some fantastic job recording us and also Phoebe, Portia and the two Connors who've been quality controlling us well and making sure that we've done things and not sounding too hollow. So uh, do you think there'll be a second episode? Well, I hope so. I guess we need to sort of put this out and open it up and see if people find it interesting and... I guess people, you know, we'd, it'd be great if people get involved, if they send us some comments, tell us maybe what they'd like us to talk about. I'm more than happy to do it same time, same place, and do more in-depth analysis. Good stuff, yeah, well, I feel the same, so that's great. Until then, then, all yep. the best. Yep, goodbye. Goodbye.